Christ himself is the secret. Christ himself is the mystery that wasn't known but was made known. God's great secret is a person. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and Tom is continuing his current series with part two of God's Great Secret. And we're looking at what the Apostle Paul refers to as the mystery of God in Ephesians chapter three. God's great secret that was once unknown but has now been revealed by God. Today, Tom will look at three questions asked in the text. Number one, what is this mystery or secret? Number two, to whom did God reveal it? And three, how did he reveal it? As you'll discover today, this great secret is all about Jesus Christ. The question is, how? Let's find out together with Tom Pennington on The Word Unleashed when God is talking to Ananias and sending Ananias from the church there in Damascus to meet with the now newly converted Paul, he says this to to Ananias when Ananias argues a bit about, you know, whether he should go or not out of fear of his own safety. The Lord says this to him in verse 15. The Lord said, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. Why? to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. Paul had a unique ministry from the other apostles. They ministered before kings, and they ministered before the Jews. But Paul was specifically called to bear the name of Christ to the Gentiles. That was his mission. In Galatians chapter 1, just back a few pages from Ephesians there, Galatians chapter 1 Verse 16, he says, God was pleased to set me apart from my mother's womb to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. That was Paul's mission in life. Galatians chapter 2, verse 7, he says, listen, God entrusted me with the gospel to the uncircumcised, that is the Gentiles, just as he did Peter for the circumcised, the Jews. I have this unique ministry. So Paul says, my role is to have this special stewardship to the Gentiles. This is the reason, by the way, the Jews hated Paul and eventually had him arrested because they believed that he was distorting the Scriptures, he was perverting the Scriptures by reaching out to the Gentiles and arguing that they could have a similar place to God's chosen people. But watch how Paul counters that in verse 3. Look at verse 3 of Ephesians 3. The stewardship that I have the special stewardship that God has given me, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery. Paul says, I have come to know God's great secret. Now, the language that we have here can sort of cloud what Paul is saying. Don't miss it. Don't miss the drama of this moment. Paul is saying 
that the great eternal secret that God has held to himself, he has now revealed to me. I have come to know God's great secret. How? By revelation. In other words, God told me. I'm not making this up. God told me by direct thought transmission. One author says, Paul is at pains to emphasize that all of his understanding is by the gift of God. The knowledge of the mystery is not a personal discovery for Paul. It is only by God-given enlightenment that he possesses the truth. Now, Paul ends verse 3 by reminding them that already in this letter, he's already touched on this secret. Notice what he says, as I wrote before in brief. That's probably not a reference to a previous letter. We have no record of another letter. He's, he's saying, as I mentioned before in this same letter, it's probably a reference back to chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, where the first occurrence of the word mystery is, or it possibly could refer, as some commentators believe, to the end of chapter 2, where he talks about the Jews and the Gentiles. So, God revealed his secret plan. He revealed it to Paul. But Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 4 to say God has also revealed it to us. To us. God revealed the secret to Paul not for his benefit, but for all of the Gentile Christians he served. Notice verse 4. By referring to this mystery, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Notice here that Paul makes two huge assumptions. When you read. That's a reference to the public reading of this letter in all the churches around Ephesus. Paul anticipated, listen carefully, Paul anticipated that the revelation of the mystery that had been made to him and was recorded here would be read to all the Christians in all the churches. It wasn't just for him. There's a second assumption that Paul makes in verse 4. You can understand my insight into the mystery. Paul is saying, listen, you who read this letter or have it read to you will be able to understand my insight into the secret that God has revealed. You see what Paul is saying here? He wants every Christian who hears this letter or who reads it, and that's us sitting here 2,000 years later in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, Paul wants everyone who reads this letter to understand the mystery, the secret that God has revealed to him. So when we ask, to whom did God reveal a secret? The first and most obvious answer is Paul, but not solely to Paul. God's ultimate goal was that all of us would know the secret. Now that brings us to the second question about this mystery. It's in verse 5, when did God reveal his secret? When did God reveal his secret? Verse 5 says, which mystery... Uh, in other generations was not made known to the sons of men. In other generations, it wasn't revealed. It wasn't made known. Other generations refers to all previous generations before the first century, as we'll see in a moment. From the time of creation until the first century, listen carefully, think about this with me. From the time of creation until the first century and the coming of Christ, God held this secret to himself. From whom did he keep it secret? from the sons of men. That is a comprehensive expression for all human beings, all the sons of Adam. God didn't tell anybody his secret. But, he goes on to say, 
it was not known as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. What God once held to himself, he's now revealed. So by the time Paul writes in the mid part of the first century, God has made the secret known. Now the word as is an important little word in this sentence because the word as could mean as in the sense of degree. This secret was known a little bit before, but it wasn't known as it has now been revealed, as clearly as it has now been made known. Or it could mean as in the sense of contrast. The secret wasn't known at all in the past, as it has now been made known. You see the difference? One is, it was known in the past, but not as fully as it is now. The other is, it wasn't known at all in the past, as it's now been made known. So those are two options. I think the first option is more likely. That is, Paul intends to say here that while there was an inkling of the secret in the past, there were hints of the secret in the past, it was not known then as it has now become fully known. And the reason I think that is in Colossians chapter 1, parallel passage, Paul says this in verse 26, talking about the same mystery. He says, the secret, the mystery, which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints. And then he makes this statement, verse 27, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. You see, it's not that nothing about the mystery or the secret was known before Christ came. It's that no one really began to understand the riches of the glory of the secret. There was, in the Old Testament, a clear revelation about the Messiah, the Christ that would come. There was also clear revelation about the salvation of the Gentiles in the Old Testament. I mean, at the very beginning, think back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. God shows up to Abraham, and what does he say to Abraham? In you, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Guess what? That's the Gentiles. So from the very beginning, God was saying he was going to bless and save Gentiles. In the New Testament, the New Testament authors argue that the Old Testament predicts that the ministry of Christ will benefit the Gentiles. Turn to Matthew 12 wasn't just for the Jews. Matthew 12, Jesus has this amazing healing ministry, and verse 17 of Matthew 12 says, this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Verse 21, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Matthew, writing to the Jews, says, listen, the Old Testament said the Messiah would be a blessing to the, to the Gentiles. You see the same thing in Romans 15. Paul uses the Old Testament to prove the Gentiles are in. Romans 15, verse 9, he says, Christ is for the Gentiles so that they will glorify God for His mercy as it is written. And then he quotes several Old Testament texts 
kind of in staccato fashion, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles. Verse 10, again he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Verse 11, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let the peoples praise him. Again, Isaiah says, there will come from the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. You get the point? The Old Testament predicted there would be hope for the Gentiles in Israel's Messiah. But listen carefully. While there was a hint of what we would enjoy, None of those passages are the myriad of others that we could look at together this morning in the Old Testament. None of them is there so much a hint that we as Gentiles would be indwelt by Israel's Messiah or that we would come to have full equality with the people of God of the Old Testament. wasn't even hinted at, but all of that has changed. Look at the second half of verse 5. The secret has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. God didn't just tell Paul. He also revealed it through the work of the Spirit to the same group we met back in chapter 2, verse 20. The New Testament apostles, those hand-picked men of Christ, and the New Testament prophets, those who were the channels, you remember, of New Testament revelation, on whose messages the foundation of the church was set. So, Paul says, talking in the middle of the first century, in the past, nobody knew the secret in its fullness. Nobody fully understood all that was going to happen. But now, it has been revealed. By the middle of the first century, Paul says, it's here, everybody knows the mystery. So when? In the times of the New Testament. In the coming of Jesus Christ, God revealed His secret. The third question Paul answers in this passage gets to the core issue, and it's what is God's secret? What is God's secret? There are two answers here in these verses. The first one's back in verse 4, and I intentionally didn't comment on a key phrase there. Look back at verse 4. Paul says, I'm telling you about the mystery of Christ. What does that mean? the mystery of Christ. Well, let me take you through a couple of other texts, and I think you'll begin to see it more clearly. Look with me back at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9. Here's the first time the word mystery occurs in Ephesians. He made known to us the secret of His will, which He purposed in Christ. Verse 10, here's the secret. The summing up of all things in Christ The secret of God's will is to sum up all things in Christ. So the mystery of Christ, the mystery of God's will, which is to sum up all things in Christ. Turn over to Colossians, the parallel book. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Keep all these things in your mind now. We're going to put it together in just a moment. Verse 27 of Colossians 1. God willed to make known the the glory of this mystery, which is, here's the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 2 of chapter 2. He ends verse 2 by saying, here is God's mystery, Christ Himself. Now, if you put all that together, if you compare that back with Ephesians 3, the mystery of Christ, you are left with one very simple conclusion. Listen carefully. Christ Himself is is the secret. 
Christ himself is the mystery that wasn't known but was made known. God's great secret is a person. Folks says Paul thought of the mystery as the great purpose of God in Christ. To Paul, his entire message about Christ had been God's secret that has now been made known. And then from time to time, Paul would refer to one element or aspect of his message about Christ, and he would also call that the mystery. Let me illustrate it for you like this. What was one of history's best-kept secrets? Well, if you do any reading at all, you know that D-Day certainly ranks up there. D-Day was one of history's greatest-kept secrets. It was really, though, one great secret, wasn't it? It was only one great secret. The secret of D-Day was the invasion of Europe by the Allies. But that one great secret consisted of various parts or elements. For example, there was the assault by the gunships from the ocean on all of the German outposts there on land. There was the amphibious landing of the troops. There was the extensive air assault. All of those were elements of the secret. But the secret was the invasion of Europe. In the same way, Christ was God's great secret, and Paul will often refer to it that way. But there were elements of Christ's mission that are also part of the secret, and he will use the word mystery or secret to refer to them as well. He does this here in Ephesians 3. In verse 4, Christ is the secret, the mystery which is Christ. Christ is God's great secret. But in verse 6, Paul touches on one aspect of the mission and work of Christ, which is part of that secret, part of the mystery that wasn't known but now is known. Verse 6, here it is, to be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul says, here's one element of the mystery, the secret that is Christ. Let me tell you the difference Christ has made for you Gentiles. Now, if you're going to fully appreciate this part of God's great secret, you've got to remind yourself how things had been for Gentiles for thousands of years. God had chosen Abraham and his descendants as the people through whom he would put himself on display in the world, and he specially dwelt among them. He was physically near them. But in the Old Testament times, for thousands of years, if you were a Gentile and you wanted to worship the true God of Israel, there was only one way to do that. You had to become a full-fledged proselyte. You had to swear off all of your gods, commit yourself to the true God, and join yourself to the nation Israel. Picture Ruth and Ruth 1. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. But even if you took that extraordinary step, even if you left everything you knew and connected yourself to Israel, you were still only a second-rate citizen. When you visited the temple in Jerusalem, you were separated from the rest of God's people by that famous dividing wall and threatened with death if you crossed over, no matter how sincere you were. That's the context in which Paul shares this passage. That was the status quo for thousands of years. And when Paul wrote this letter, it was still physically true. If one of these first century Ephesian believers had tried to go past that wall in Jerusalem, he would have been killed. 
But while they were still restricted, restricted physically by the Jews who control the temple, Paul wanted them to know that the spiritual reality had radically changed, that by his death, Jesus had not only torn apart that massive curtain separating them from the presence of God, he had also torn down the wall, the dividing wall that pictured the physical separation between Jews and Gentiles. This was the specific aspect of the secret in Christ that Paul has in mind in verse 6. So look at verse 6. Paul explains how things have changed because of the secret, God's secret, which is Christ. Change in our status as Gentiles. First of all, we're fellow heirs. Fellow heirs. This is different, by the way. Same word, but different use as Romans 8, where we're called joint heirs with Christ. Here we're told that we are joint heirs, Jewish and Gentile Christians. Jews and Gentiles have equal rights to God's inheritance. Paul adds in verse 6, we are fellow members of the body. Gentiles are an integral part of the body of Christ. Paul loves this image, and he'll come back to it in chapter 4, of the church as a body, the body of Christ. And Gentiles are equally members of the body. But the climax comes in the last expression in verse 6. Gentiles are fellow partakers of the promise. What promise? Remember chapter 2, verse 12, all those covenants of promise that we were excluded from? We're heirs of the promise of Messiah, of spiritual salvation, of the work and aid of the Spirit, of the new covenant. All of those promises that were made to the true people of God, those spiritual promises, it also includes the future. It includes resurrection. Remember what Paul says, Christ in you, what? The hope of glory, a new heavens and a new earth. We don't just live for this life, we live for eternity. And we are fellow partakers of that promise with the people of God. And notice Paul says in verse 6 that all three of these blessings are ours because we are connected to Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. And they became ours through the gospel that was preached to us. Folks, Christ is God's great secret. Hinted at in the Old Testament. Known to some degree, but the riches of the glory of the mystery wasn't known until He showed up. So how do you respond to the fact that God kept a great secret and has now revealed it to us? How do you respond to the secret who is Jesus Christ. Turn back to Ephesians 1, and I want you to just notice what our response should be. Verse 9 says, God has made known to us the secret of His will which He purposed in Christ, verse 10, and that is the summing up of all things in Christ. You remember when we studied that, we discovered that to sum up, implies two things. It means that Christ is the goal of everything. God intends, this is God's secret, that Christ would be the goal of everything and that Christ would be the Lord of everything. That's what it means to sum up all things in Christ. That He would be the goal for which everything exists and that He would be the Lord of everything that exists. Folks, that's God's secret plan. It's Christ, and to make everything come under Him. 
So how do you apply God's great secret? Do you live with Jesus Christ as the goal of your life? Do you live to bring Him glory? Are the decisions you made this week because of Jesus Christ, the reason you do what you do, the reason you get up each day, the reason you live, is it all about you and your life and what you want and your success and your career and your prosperity and your comfort and your ease? Or is it about Jesus Christ? And is He Lord? God's great secret is Christ making Him the goal of everything and the Lord of everything. Let me ask you, is your life aligned with the universe's great secret? That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part two of his current series titled God's Great Secret. Tom will have part three for you on our next broadcast, and we hope you'll join us then. Well, we'd like you to know that Tom has a new book out titled The God Who Hears, a book of pastoral prayers. It features 31 scripture readings and accompanying pastoral prayers. Tom's book is available for purchase right now online at thewordunleashed.org. As always, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory explaining God's truth.